As you turn to Matthew 28 in your Bibles, Matthew 28, we are beginning today our yearly series we do every year around this time of the year called We Are the Crossing. It's a time that we set aside each fall to remind ourselves of who we are as a local church and what God has called us to uh, as a local church in this part of the world. This Sunday is, is kind of one of those milestone Sundays. Um, it was the last Sunday in September, four years ago. Uh, I was pastoring a church in uh, Sterlington. I uh, had been feeling this call to plant a church, be a part of a church plant. Talked to our deacons, got their blessing to explore this. And so the last Sunday in September, four years ago, the Bonner family and the Hawthorne family drove over to Huntsville. Spent the weekend in Paul Whaley's basement, uh, the lead pastor of Summit Crossing Community Church. Asked tons of questions, uh, went to their worship gathering, talked about what a gospel-centered church in Monroe would look like, and uh, came back with this calling, this passion, and God just began to work and move. And a lot of you started um, hearing about this, and God began to put together this group of people that would see this happen in the city of Monroe over the next several months in, in the January and February of 2014, we uh, started having, having vision meetings in the old BCM building before it was condemned and demolished. Uh, we have pictures of, of those meetings, what that looked like. Some of you were there. Most of you weren't. Um, and we just walked through what this could look like. Do you want to be a part of this type thing? This particular uh, meeting, we were joined by uh, the leaders of Summit Crossing, um, some of their leaders, and... Uh, they brought their media team, and the next day, Monday, uh, they brought, uh, took me, Scott, and Kendrick out to a beautiful location in the city of Monroe, the, the room above Cotton, uh, for us to shoot a promotional video that would be edited by their ministry media team. It was going to be high quality, well done, music, graphics, etc. We could share it on social media and get the word out, invite people to pray for us, support us, join us. Uh, Just one problem, your three genius leaders did not discuss with each other what to wear. So we got this monstrosity. I am so glad God is sovereign, and that never saw the light of day. We have it to laugh at each other and remember that. There's some outtakes I put together that uh, maybe we'll show that another core group training time or something of our goof-ups and mistakes. But um, I would show you the final video where we nailed it, but I don't want to hurt your eyes any more than I need to. What I hope you heard at least was the kernels of the vision, mission, mission, and values that have marked us from the beginning. Uh, No, we're not called Summit Crossing Community Church in Monroe. And no, we don't all wear plaid anymore, thankfully. But we are still a church that is all about the gospel community and Jesus. We're still a church that strives to believe the gospel, to connect to others in gospel relationships, and to live a gospel-changed life. We are still a people who desire more than anything else for as many people as possible to enjoy Christ, to find in Christ our ultimate joy and satisfaction. It's not that we don't enjoy food and fun and hangout times like we're going to have today at the park. Yeah, we do enjoy that. But, but we see that the ultimate joy flows from Christ, not the temporary things. 
and then flows back to Christ as worship. It doesn't terminate on the temporary. So that our deepest and most satisfying and ultimate joys are really Christ. Centered, flowing from Christ, worship back to Christ. Because he gives us all good gifts of things to enjoy. And we desire as many people as possible to enjoy Christ deeply, eternally. Because they are following Christ. And they are being changed by his gospel. And that's, that's who we've been. That's what we've been chasing from the very beginning. We, we're still a church that is committed to be disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus in everyday life. And to be a church that's organized as missional communities that plant missional communities. And to be a church plant that plants churches. And so you hear us talking about these things all the time. And so each year this series is intended to be this reorientation for us about our identity and calling as a unique, distinct local church in Monroe. Which is why when God brought us together, we didn't just say, well, what church should we join? Well, we don't see a church doing what we feel like we're called to do, so let's start one. And to be reminded as we go through this each year of what we're about, what we're chasing, what we're going for. It's an exhortation, Crossing Church. Press forward. Let's keep chasing this. Let's keep going. We're grateful for the growth and and progress that we've experienced, but it's a reaffirmation of our commitment to follow Jesus and continue down this path, depending on Him for everything, so that we see more and more gospel growth, more and more saturation of our city with the gospel to the nations and beyond. And so as we walk through this series between now and Christmas, be reminded, much like the Israelites in the Old Testament, God brought them into the the promised land through the the River Jordan, God parted the River Jordan, just like he did the Red Sea. When they got to the bottom of the River Jordan, they pulled out 12 stones and set up a memorial. Why? So they could tell future generations, this is who we are. This is what God has done. Be reminded. Much as we do every single Sunday when we partake of the broken bread and the fruit of the vine and remembering the body, the blood, the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. Remember who Christ is. Remember what Christ has done to save you and to make you this people. Be reminded because we are so prone to forget. So prone to forget. Matthew 28 is a great passage that reminds us as much as any passage in the Bible of this calling that we've received. So beginning in verse 18, Matthew 28, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Father, we are so grateful. That these words spoken to your followers 2,000 years ago still resonate today. The calling is the same. You said you would build your church, and you have. And we get to be a part of this. And you're going to continue to build your church until you return. And so speak these words, this, this vision that you have for us as the crossing. Speak these words to us today. May we... See our sin clearly. May we see our Savior clearly. And may we repent and believe in you again. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, uh, this morning, feel the weight of this disciple-making call by understanding that for a follower of Jesus, making disciples with your life is a non-negotiable. It is commanded. So feel the weight. So get the context of this passage. Jesus has come He has lived his incarnational life. 
He's been perfect. He's done nothing wrong, no sin. He's been this beautiful uh, entrance of the kingdom of God into our world. The kingdom of God is already here, not yet fully consummated as it will be one day. But as Jesus was teaching and healing and loving and serving and sacrificing and pushing back against the religious establishment that was hypocritical, we're seeing the, the coming of the kingdom of God. And it was beautiful. At the end of his life, he willingly, lovingly laid down his life for sinners on the cross. He didn't receive the, the worship of all creation that he deserves that's coming, but he received condemnation and judgment and shame because he took on our sins so that he could give us credit for his righteous life so that we could be reconciled back to God even though we're born in sin and trespasses, even though we're born as enemies of God. And Jesus then, after he, he died on the cross, he, he laid in the grave. On the third day, he rose again. He began to appear to all of his disciples. And over about 40 days, the Bible tells us he's teaching them. Acts 1, he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. Luke 24, he's walking them through the Old Testament, basically saying, that's where I'm at, that's where I'm at, that's where I'm at. This is how the entire Old Testament was pointing to me, which would flavor all of the preaching of the New Testament. And he's instructing them. And then at some point, an aspect of Jesus' ministry and life that we, we, we kind of don't emphasize or talk about a whole much. At some point, after 40 days, he ascends to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father to continue to intercede for us and to wait for the call to go and establish his final and full kingdom. And that's what he's doing today, the intercessory ascending ministry of Jesus. And before he ascends, he speaks these words in Matthew 28. These words to his disciples. In this statement, you find only one command. There's only one imperative in the original language of the New Testament. Make disciples. The other seemingly commands, phrases, modify that command. Make disciples as you go, as you're baptizing them, and as you're teaching them. You're what? You're making disciples. As you're going in your life Every day to the nations, everywhere in between, as you are teaching people, proclaiming the gospel and seeing people identify publicly with Christ through baptism and then teaching them everything Jesus has commanded so they will live this gospel changed life. In all of that is making disciples. That's what making disciples is all about. Other people who are learners and followers of Christ. The disciples ask him at some point before he ascends in Acts chapter 1, is now the time for you to restore the kingdom? And Jesus says, not for you to know, but go and wait, receive my power of the Holy Spirit. You will be my witnesses. And they went and they waited. And 10 days Pentecost came. The Holy Spirit fell. The church was born. They began to make disciples among all nations and the world's never been the same. And we are caught up in that. Eventually the gospel spread to this place called the United States. In this place called Louisiana. And by God's grace, we were born into situations where eventually we heard the gospel. Somehow, some way, according to the providence of God, He has made us alive in Christ. Unless, unless you're not alive in Christ, unless today is the day of your salvation. And God has probably ordained that you would be here today. So, it's not actually very hard to plant a church. It's much harder to make disciples. You want to plant a church? Just come up with a name, get some people, a place to meet, file some paperwork, start your website, put out some signs, boom, you got a church. But just because you're a church doesn't mean you're making disciples, right? We want to be not an organization or an entity called a church. We want to be a church because we're making disciples. 
right? We don't want to just be a church because we file paperwork and we we have a bank account that says the Crossing Church or business cards. We want to be a church because we're making disciples of Christ. And there's no greater task with which your life can be about than making disciples of Christ. If if followers of Jesus, according to the New Testament, give their lives to make disciples, then if your life is not given to make disciples, shouldn't we do some kind of self-assessment? Like if you had to examine your life, how is my life intentionally engaged in making disciples of Jesus Christ? To the people that I'm around most, family, spouse, kids, grandkids, to my neighbors, to my co-workers, to my extended family, to the people I'm around in the city and the various things that I'm doing, how is my life given to intentionally make disciples of Jesus Christ? And we, by God's grace, should be able to just go through our life. Well, here's, here's, here's what I'm doing. Here's how I'm trying. Not, not that anybody has it figured out. It's incredibly messy and complex and hard and we're sinful when we mess up. But this is what you're striving for. This is the direction of your life. Here's what you've learned and how you're passing that along to other people. And it is the life of the follower of Jesus. So maybe your life this morning isn't about making disciples simply because you don't know that that's what following Jesus meant. I mean, maybe you're really here today and and you've never heard that a follower of Jesus' life is supposed to be given to make disciples. Like there's an information gap. You've just never been taught that. Maybe, maybe you've been taught that being a Christian and following Jesus is just about going to heaven when you die. You just get your uh, get-out-of-hell card, tuck it in your back pocket, kind of do what you want until you die, then you get to go to heaven. For a lot of people, that's Christianity. For a lot of people, that's what it means to be a, a Christian, a follower of Christ. So I, just, I need to try and be a, a pretty good person, a good neighbor, work hard, take care of my family, um, uh, be a good, good friend to different people, be a, a good citizen of the United States, do all these things, but, but that's, you know, when I die, I go to heaven. That, that's what life is really about. Now, all of that's good stuff, and all of that can be a part of disciple-making, but you can do all of that and not be making disciples. And so examining our life. And so maybe for some of us here today, it's an information gap. You've just never been taught that being a follower of Christ is about making disciples, giving your life to see other people come alive in Christ. And the reason that we're still alive is either for Christ to call us into a relationship with him to become a follower of Christ to make disciples or to continue down that path of making disciples of Jesus Christ. That's why we're still breathing. That's why we still have opportunities. Um, maybe uh, the difference is not maybe the, maybe it's not an information gap maybe it's, maybe it's a desire gap like you just kind of don't want to do it I'd, I'd just kind of rather do what I want to do you know it's a lot more fun if I just do what I want to do in my life and not really live with intentionality to make disciples and so it's just easier to live on cruise control and do the easier things. Like for a church, it's easier for a church just to have services, have some ministries, make people happy, maintain a budget and staff, take care of each other until we die. We can have this thing called a church. A lot of fun, good place to go, enjoy hanging out with all y'all. But it's a lot harder to be intentional about making disciples. Kind of like, let's make this a cruise ship. Or great illustration I was given a couple weeks ago, um, the difference uh, between being a hospice and a hospital. Hospice pain management until you die because you have a terminal illness. Literally, when I go into people's homes, I say these words. We want to make your life as good as possible, as comfortable as possible, as happy as possible until the Lord calls you home. And so some people treat church like that. Let's just make this as happy and comfortable as possible until we die. Versus a hospital 
where their job is to go in, cut on you, drill, saw, bandage, wrap, whatever they have to do so you will get your stuff, get out of the room, and go back to your life. We want to fix you to get you back out to living life, which is a better representation of church than hospice care. We want the Word and the Spirit to come in and cut us, expose us, bind us, heal us, restore us, so we can get out of this room and get back to living life in our city as disciples of Jesus Christ who make disciples. I remember uh, being in college, and I was in this group of students that our campus pastor had recruited to go through some intentional disciple-making. And he wanted to take 20 of us, meet with us for an hour a week, to disciple us with the hopes that the next semester we would find somebody to disciple, kind of a disciple multiplication movement on our campus. And I was one, Jennifer was one, some others. And I remember coming face to face with this dilemma. Like, I didn't know if I wanted to be a disciple of Christ. I was a Christian. I loved Jesus. But being a disciple, man, that required a lot. I didn't know if I wanted to be that committed. Like, what if I got that committed to Jesus and he told me to break up with Jennifer? Like, that's no good, Right? And God was very gracious and patient with me as I had to work that out in my heart and come to an understanding. There is no difference between a Christian and a disciple. A Christian is a disciple, a follower of Christ. Like you can't choose like the the B path of being a Christian. You know, like in high school, you can go in honors or you can just go get out of high school. Right? You can't just choose the, just the, 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 the lower track of being a Christian. You know, there's the super Christians. I just want to kind of be that guy who gets into heaven by the skin of my teeth. You can't, there, there are going to be people like that who make it into heaven as though through the fire, 1 Corinthians 3. But that's more about the grace of God, the might of God to save people despite their immaturity than it is about, I want the easy track. We're all called to be disciples. We're all called to be disciple makers with our life. And so I would ask you, if your life hasn't or isn't about making disciples because you don't desire to exert the effort, then, then what do you desire more? If God's created you and left you alive and called you for this purpose, saved you to send you out for this purpose, what, what else would be greater than this calling? Like, feel the weight of this call. Feel the weight of this command. There's not one person here who can get out from under the weight of this call. Our lives are to be about making disciples. And if they aren't, we need to repent and believe again in who Jesus has called and created us to be. Feel the weight, but also feel the hope. Feel the hope. God's mercies are new every morning. Everything that God has called us to, His Spirit will empower us to obey and do. He doesn't just expect us to figure it out and do it on our own. He sends us everything that we need to accomplish this. So feel the weight, but see the hope. See the possibility of living your life as a disciple maker and feel the hope. We see this in verse 18 where Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus tells us all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to him. He's no longer the suffering, humble, peasant, carpenter's son from Nazareth. He's king. He's boss. He rules the universe. He's accomplished the purpose and will of God. And now all authority is His. There's no holding back. And out of that authority, with that authority, He says, go into all the nations and make disciples. 
with and in the authority of the king of the universe. Like when you're raising kids, they get old enough and, and they'll start coming to you, you know, uh, lights out at a certain time, you know, so-and-so won't turn the light out. They won't quit talking to me. I'm trying to go to sleep. So sometimes we'll go in there and we'll have this real gospel-centered, loving conversation. How does the gospel apply to the situation? How do you serve and love each other? And sometimes it's just, you tell them, I said, turn out the light, go to bed. And so they go marching back in there with the authority of their father or their mother, expecting that to fulfill the commands of their father or mother. We get what it means to go in the authority of someone else. They go with the full weight of my position as a dad or or Jennifer's position as a mom. Jesus gives us authority. Universe creating, mountain shaking, nation subduing, ocean moving authority so his followers could stand before kings and leaders, go into any nation regardless of the government, stand before any world ruler despite what we may, may think is lacking in education, power, fame, fortune. We can declare the gospel to anyone anywhere, anytime. No one can stop us. There's not a government on earth that ever has or ever will stop the authority of Jesus and his disciples going forward with this command to make disciples in all nations. Like I read about a new believer in a Muslim-dominated country brought before police and threatened with 15 years of prison if, if he didn't quit talking about Jesus. What did he do? He told the cops about Jesus. You can't keep me from talking about Jesus. I'm going to tell you. That's the authority that we have. We go in that authority to make disciples, baptizing, teaching. We go in our life, in our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, to all the nations. This is not, this is not talking about in this passage the, the nations like geopolitical units. There's like 200 some odd nations in the United Nations. This is, this is ethnic groups, ethnicities. Ethnos is the word in the Greek. There's about 16,000 people groups according to the Joshua Project. 6,000 of whom are still unreached, unengaged. We still have people groups we are striving to reach all around the world. We go to those people groups with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you see from the book of Acts through today, God's people have been passionate about getting the gospel to as many people as possible. And when we go, we proclaim the gospel. And what happens? By the grace and mercy of God, people repent, believe, publicly identify with Christ through baptism. Our faith is not a private affair. It's a public affair because we declare it to the world through baptism. We identify with Christ. What you see happening to me on the outside, this, this buried in, in death, raised to walk in the news of life, this is what's happened on the inside of me. And then we teach. We teach the new disciples everything Jesus commanded. We declare to them all of Scripture, how to understand, obey, observe, and live out life as a disciple, follower, learner of Christ. And then they, what do they do? They give their life to make disciples. And so you have multiplication. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. This is not a special command only to those who've been to seminary, only to vocational ministers. This is to all of God's people. If you are a follower of Christ, if you are a disciple of Christ, you are to be a disciple maker of Christ. And it's not supposed to be like rocket science, like you need years and years of training to figure this out. If you are alive in Christ, you have the Spirit of God, you have the Word of God, guess what? You have everything you need to be a disciple maker. You don't have to have answers to everybody's questions. You can say the rest of your life, you're not going to be able to answer everybody's questions. And even if you have the answer to everybody's questions, they're not always going to like the answer to their questions. 
Because a lot of times questions are just smoke screens because they don't want to bow their knee before the king of the universe. If you have the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the people of God with you, you have everything you need to make disciples. Look how Jesus made disciples. These guys lived life with Him as they went, as He traveled, as He lived. He taught them. Normal part of life. Like we have turned evangelism and disciple-making into some stress-infused task. Like we're trying to sell people on multi-level marketing schemes. Or sell this newest nutritional product. Or makeup. Or whatever other stuff that we try to sell people. That's, that's not the gospel. That's not evangelism. That's not disciple making. We live our lives in such a way that reveal the reality of the gospel in us. It's changing us. And then we speak the gospel or parts of the gospel to tell people, here's the reason. Here's the motivation behind what I'm doing. 1 Peter 3.15. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with gentleness and and respect. So see the progression. First, there is a real vibrant relationship with Christ. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. You are following Jesus, loving Jesus, being changed by Jesus. Then your heart is captivated by Him. The reality of the gospel is being experienced by you. Then be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks. Like if you truly follow Jesus, your heart is captivated by Jesus, you are going to stick out. You're in relationships with people and you're motivated by things that most people aren't motivated by. You love things that most people don't love. You're serving and humble in ways that most people who aren't captivated by Jesus are, are humble and serving. And people are going to be able to look at you like, what are you doing? What are you about? Why, why do you do these things that you do? And opportunities will come. They will long for things that God has graciously given us. As we're repenting of sin, sometimes the questions we need to ask is, how do we truly live a distinct life as a follower of Christ in our culture, in our context, in our relationships? Because if we're just blending in, there's a distinctiveness that we're missing. The power of Christ being experienced in your life, the fruit of showing up, people asking you and you having opportunities to tell, all of this happens in everyday life in all of your relationships, in all of your roles and responsibilities. Lastly, a life given to disciple-making, not just feel the weight of it, not just feel the hope of it, but thirdly, feel the joy of it. A life given to disciple-making is rewarding, and so feel the joy of the greatest life possible. Jesus closes out this great commandment in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, he tells them this before he ascends into heaven. Yet he's telling them, I'm going to be with you. He's out of there. I mean, I'm sure they were like, whoa, what? What happened? I thought you said you're going to be with us. In fact, they stood there in Acts chapter 1 waiting for him to come back. And the angel had to come and say, he's not coming back now. He will come back one day the same way you saw him left, but it's not right now. Go back to Jerusalem and wait for the spirit. Wait for the power to come. Now, understand how much Jesus identifies with his people. Acts chapter 9, we've talked about this before. Saul is persecuting the church. He's on the way to Damascus. Jesus appears to him in this blinding light, the Shekinah glory of God. It blinds Paul. The people around him can't even see this or hear this. It's just overwhelming. And, and Jesus says to Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? Saul's persecuting the church, yet Jesus so identifies with his people, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 1 Corinthians 12, the church is described as the body of Christ. 
The head is Christ. We are the many members of the body of Christ. Visible and invisible members. Jesus so identifies with His church. His presence dwells in them. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. He's with us always to the end of the age. Um, So when the church is fulfilling our calling and our role in this world, we are literally the body of Christ, the hands of Christ, the feet of Christ, the, the voice of Christ. Where's Jesus? He's not hiding. He's in the body of Christ, the church. That's where Jesus is in the world today. It's where Jesus has chosen to encapsulate his presence in the body of Christ. It's throughout the world. And what other organization in the world is supposed to represent and be the body of Christ? The UN? I hope not. Government? The school? No, the body of Christ is in all of those things, we hope. But only the church has this identity. Only the church has this role. And because the church is people, we can be working and serving in all those places, government, schools, sports teams, neighborhoods. But it's only the church that Jesus said he would build and the gates of Hades would not prevail against it. And so as we are doing this work of making disciples, whose work are we doing? We're doing the work of Christ. We're doing his work in his power with His presence. What greater life could there be? Now, we don't do all the work of Christ. Only He could do the redeeming work, the resurrecting work of Himself to secure all of this for us. But we're doing His work in that that, that He told His disciples in the book of John, um, great works I've done, greater works will you do. He said to His disciples, to us, we would actually do greater works than Him. Why? Because He had a three-year incarnational ministry in one region of the world. We, as the body of Christ, are millions of people spread into all the nations with the Spirit of God in us so that we can actually do greater works in Christ. More extensive, more pervasive. So we have all kinds of things that we enjoy. Food, movie, music, sports, depending on your team, actually. But none of these small temporary joys are intended to be the greatest joys in life. They're intended to point us to the greater joy, Christ. But we can take all of these things we love and enjoy and now use them to make disciples. So that we can have the the temporary smaller joy, sure. Food tastes good. We love when our team wins. We, We love to be in relationship and laugh at things with people and enjoy movies with people. Enjoy the temporary joys, but because we're doing it now to make disciples, we get to experience the greater joy of seeing Christ use us to take everyday life to make disciples of Jesus. Because we're using all of these things to be in relationship with people, to point people to Christ. So if you love to watch sports, watch sports with people who need Jesus, and then talk about Jesus, be in relationship with them. If you love food, eat meals with people who need Jesus, and talk about Jesus. If you love to hunt, fish, shop, garden, drink coffee, whatever you love to do, do it with people, and talk about Jesus, and our need of Jesus and your need of Jesus and how Jesus is changing you. And there's all kinds of ways we can do that intentionally. And we do it empowered by Jesus for the glory of Jesus until we drop dead. And we get to go be with Jesus and all of his people forever. We are the crossing. And we are all about being incredibly intentional about making disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. 
We believe this is who the church is and has been because it's who Jesus is and what he did and continues to do in and through his body today until he returns. And this brings life's greatest joys, joy, doing his work with him. We have zero desire to be an organization called the Crossing Church. We have great desire to be disciple makers of Jesus who do this together as a family of servant missionaries called the Crossing. We believe the bond that we share together in pursuing this is so deep, so eternal, so intentional that we use a biblical word called covenant to describe this relationship we have with God and with each other. Covenant is a word that simply means agreement. We're on the same page. We're thinking the same, believing the same, moving in the same direction. Covenant is a word that describes God's relationship with his people. He covenanted with them in a relationship of love and purpose. He would be their God. They would be his people. Here's how I will love you and and serve you as my people, God would say throughout these covenants in the Bible. And here's how you live in relationship with me as my people. We are agreeing to this. God makes these promises to us. Covenant is also a word used to describe the relationship of marriage. I had the privilege of doing a wedding last night for a, a couple, a young girl who grew up in the first church I pastored. And, and I, I said to this to them after talking about marriage as a covenantal relationship, a covenantal relationship is more intimate and sacrificial than a contractual relationship. It's more binding and long-lasting than a relationship based on only feelings and emotions. A covenant is a stunning blend of law and love, duty and passion. It is a love that will cause you to experience the deepest emotions of joy and passion possible with another human being. Yet this relationship will frustrate you and stretch you more than any other human relationship. But by God's grace, you will constantly have to be reminded of your lifelong commitment to stick to this covenant, no matter how frustrated you are. And by God's grace, you will constantly have to refresh your heart to pursue each other with romantic passions reserved for each other alone. That's the idea of covenantal marriage, this bond with this other person. And even that's talking about marriage, we don't expect members of a church to pursue each other with romantic passions, unless it's your spouse, right? Uh, or somebody you hope is your spouse. Sometimes that happens. Um, even, but even with that definition of covenantal marriage, you see this covenantal relationship within the body of Christ. Like this commitment to each other. This frustration with each other. Anybody ever been frustrated with somebody else in the Crossing Church? Okay, I guess it's just me then. I don't know. This, this getting on of each other's nerves, yet this resolute commitment to pursue each other, to love each other, to stay in this relationship, to care for each other. We believe that to be a church, this is the commitment that we have to make. If we're going to be committed to make disciples in everyday life, and being a church that is about disciple-making disciples who make disciples and seeing the gospel saturate our city and beyond, it's going to require a level of commitment to God and each other that can only be described as a covenant. This depth of relationship. Not just because there's a biblical foundation for that word. We're all in covenantal relationship with God, so why wouldn't we be in covenantal relationship with each other, right? There also, you see this level of commitment throughout the pages of the New Testament. The people of God. Look at all the one another passages and all the ways they served each other and held each other accountable and called each other out and loved each other and sacrificed for each other. 
But we also find it's important to describe our, 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 our relationship with each other as a covenant because of the context where God has planted us. Like in our part of the world, we understand the concept of membership well. Uh, you can be a member of a business's loyalty program by just like giving them your cell phone number or email address and you get some little card and every time you go to the business, they punch it or they swipe it or tag it and you get rewards and perks from them. We know it's like to be a member of a gym. You pay your dues, you use it or you don't use it, but you keep paying. And they keep building gyms. A member of a homeowners association, a member of a hunting club or a professional organization for your job. We know what it's like to be a member of a private Facebook group or a public Facebook group or a member of a sports team. But what does it mean to be a member of a local church? Does it carry the same requirements as some of those groups? Does it carry the same responsibilities, duties, accountability? What does the New Testament say about this? Like for a lot of us who grew up in church, being a member of a local church wasn't extremely meaningful. Uh, it's a running joke in the Southern Baptist denomination, the largest Protestant denomination in our country, that we have 16 million members and the FBI doesn't know where half of them are. And so like the last church I pastored, 500 members, and I, I really provided pastoral care to about 200 people. So what did it mean to be a member of that church for those other 300 people? People, some of them may have been dead. People didn't know who they were, where they lived. Why were they still a member of this church? It obviously didn't mean much of anything to them. We believe that we can do better, and we're called to do better. And part of how we want to pursue that is by being a church that practices covenantal membership. Let's be very clear about what it means to be a member of this entity, this body of believers called the Crossing Church. Let's openly and unashamedly commit to this. And and while we're doing that, we're looking at each other and we're saying, we need each other. We see what God's called us to. I can't do that by myself. We need each other for encouragement and accountability and help and support. And so let's openly, unashamedly commit to this together, to chase this together, to see Jesus do big things in us and through us. As we make disciples, we make disciples. As we plant churches, that plant churches. We're going to be unpacking covenantal membership thoroughly and slowly over the next two months, literally walking through our members' covenant, exactly what we're asking each of us to commit to, what that commitment looks like in a local church, as well as dealing with questions, concerns that have come up or you may have that come up. It's part of a process we have in place to elevate what we think it means to be a member of a local church. We believe what we are committed to and called to as a follower of Christ is of such preeminent value and priority and committing to this should look a lot more explicit than just being a member of Brookshire's loyalty program or a member of Anytime Fitness or, you know, the Punch Club at Corner Coffee. You got anything at Drew yet? It's coming. Whatever these loyalty programs are, what we're called to is so big, so important, so huge, that, that we should be very explicit, very open, and very committed to this together, to be a covenantal member of a local church. So if you've been with us for a while and you desire to join with us as a covenantal member, we're going to ask you to be very intentional about seeing that happen in the next three months, so that as we go into 2018, everyone who wants to be a covenantal member will be a covenantal member, and we'll just kind of check this off our list. 
This is, this is done. You want it. We want that for you. Let's get this done. Let's quit kind of dragging our feet as leaders and as potential covenantal members. If you're new, you're still not sure about this, no pressure. Take your time. Keep doing life with us. Keep acting like a church member. Keep showing up, serving, loving, getting to know everybody. Your salvation is not at stake here. Okay? Your member as the body of Christ is not at stake here. Just keep uh, being who you are, and, 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 and one day, Lord willing, you might, you might decide to enter that process. But if you are of one mind and one heart with the crossing, you want to declare that through covenantal membership, let's be very intentional. Well, we've shared this information before through the city. If you're not on the city, it's our private social media platform where we communicate as a church. That's why we don't do announcements on Sunday morning. But becoming a covenantal member of the crossing involves this basic process. It's not numbered on purpose because it's not sequential. You can just do this in any order that you so choose. The, the first one, though, I would say is, is probably the first. Act like a member. If you, if you start coming, just start acting like a member. Start loving, serving, getting to know people, uh, playing a part, being involved, etc. But at some point, you need to be in a missional community for three months. At some point, you need to read this really short book, called I Am a Church Member by Tom Rainer, which just basically uh, talks about uh, the New Testament, what the New Testament says a church member should be and do. Um, if you um, don't have a copy, we'll provide you a copy. You ask around. Somebody else has, had a cop- has a copy who's already read it, and they'll probably lend it to you or give it to you. Being in the mission community for three months, that's so that we will know you and you will know us. So we have time to see the reality of your profession in Christ, that you really do love Jesus. This is not just your pretending. This is really who you are. Um, affirming our statement of faith, you find that on our website. It's a set of doctrinal statements that, that basically we're, we're asking you to say, I agree with that. And it's, it's broad. It's a broad statement of faith. Uh, fill out a membership profile or be interviewed by one of our elders, which would be me and Kendrick, if you don't know that. The purpose of this is simply for us to know who you are. Tell me how you came alive in Christ. Tell me how you declared that to the world through bapt- baptism. Uh, tell me where you are in life and how we as your elders can serve you and shepherd you and love you and pray for you and care for you. You can fill out the profile, email it to us. You can write it out in longhand, mail it to us, deliver it through a messenger service. We don't care. Bring it up here one Sunday. Or if you prefer not to sit down and write all this or type all this, just, just schedule a time and, and one of us will sit down with you and we'll just we'll have this conversation if you would prefer that. Whichever one doesn't matter to us. Uh, it may take a little longer to schedule it, but we'll make it happen. The fifth, or next, uh, at some point, sign a member's covenant signifying your public commitment to be a member of the Crossing Church, your desire to chase this calling and vision together with us. Once you sign it, uh, give that to your missional community leader. It's not a contract. It's more like uh, a wedding ring and purpose and intent. It's a public declaration of your commitment to this that you want to be a part of this. And then at some point, attend a new members class. This is a one-time class that allows one of us as elders to be very specific about who we are as a crossing church. Um, a lot of the same, some of the same information I'm, I've talked about today would be covered in that class. Uh, but we also give you the opportunity to ask questions and to get feedback. We did one of these back in January for a bunch of you. We did a few in the spring. Some of you went through those. We haven't done them since then. But next Sunday, starting next Sunday, we're going to do one every first Sunday Probably until Jesus returns is what we're hoping. And so from now on, first Sunday of the month, uh, come to our Sunday morning worship gathering. We'll feed you lunch. We'll hang out for about an hour after that. And we'll walk you through a new members class and give you an opportunity to give us feedback and ask questions and figure out what's going on. 
So that starts next Sunday. Um, we've also, uh, we have a streamlined process for those who are 17 and younger. Um, because uh, we want uh, children to be able to join our church officially. Now, a lot of that's going to require the parents to oversee that process so that if they have publicly professed faith in Christ, been baptized publicly, then, then you, we want you to walk them through an age-appropriate, meaningful process for them to become an official member of the Crossing Church. And uh, we've put that together. I'll be putting that on the city this week. We'll be walking through more specifics of this over the next eight weeks. And so if you grew up in church, you might be thinking, this is very different. I didn't grow up experiencing this. It's a process. I thought you just kind of walked down and told the preacher you wanted to join. He shook your hand and everybody came around and hugged you. But that's all that joining a church involved. Well, for almost everybody in this room, being in a church plant is very new and different. Right? For almost everybody in this room, being in the missional community is very new and different. You've never really done anything like this. For even us as leaders, being on a team of plurality of elders, we've never done this before. We're kind of figuring it out as we go with a mixture of success and failure. And so covenantal membership is part of this new and different. That's not bad, especially if there is good and healthy intent. And that is the intent of covenantal membership. How can we be very explicit and clear about what it means to be a member of a New Testament local church and how can all of us publicly commit to doing this together for the joy of joining Jesus on his mission to make disciples in all nations, for the ultimate joy of Christ as we see more and more people find joy in Christ by following him and being changed by his gospel. And so I hope and pray that that is you. Like I hope and pray that's that's a joy you have and you have experienced and are experiencing. And if it's not, the Bible would say, today, repent. Turn from your sin where you think there is joy and there's not really deep, long-lasting joy. Just temporary satisfaction. Turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. For all of us, there's areas of our life that we need to do that. So I want to give you an opportunity to do that as we pray, as we respond and worship in reflection, uh, respond to the, the work, the call of the Spirit of God in your life. Father, we are so grateful for Jesus. We're so thankful that He has saved us and is saving us and will save us. Thank you that your promises are secure because they are rooted in your character and nature. We thank you that you have put us together as a church family and you are sending us out with your gospel. And you are changing us, and you want to change our city more and more through us. So show us how to be a part of that as we turn from our sin and trust in you. Father, help us to respond. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.